0: First reading is taken from Isaiah 42, 1 9. Here is my servant whom I I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people, and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare, before they spring into being, I announce them to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: It's a pleasure to be with you uh, on this Sunday morning and to see Carol involved in leading the worship. I didn't know until Carol told me that the particular sermon I preached had led to her uh, being called to the ministry, but I'm I'm delighted that um, God used that word from me to challenge her. I must say that um, Carol's ordination made a great impression on those that were there, and on me personally, The lady who was um, instructing us what to do said, you will, as clergy, kneel down. And just in front of me was an iron grating, (laughs) so it didn't make a huge impression on my knees. I think I just about recovered. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've revealed yourself to us in your word. We pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you will reveal your truth to us this morning. For your glory's sake, we ask it. Amen. Last week, my wife and I went down to the seafront in South Sea on the day of the highest tide and the strongest winds to watch the waves crashing over the seafront. As you can see, we weren't being stupid. We were... Protected by the cafe. We watched from the protection of the cafe as the Isle of Wight ferries tried to get in and out of the port. And then we saw a banana boat managing to make headway against the storm. We were certainly glad not to be out at sea that day because it was bad enough trying to stand up, let alone go out on a boat. There may have been, or perhaps there are now, times when you feel as though all the big waves are coming straight at you or at me. Maybe in a matter of moments, our lives turn upside down. We've suddenly gone from calm to chaos, from peace to perplexity and bewilderment. Perhaps as will happen in Portsmouth over the next year or so, 1,200 dockyard workers, shipbuilders, will be made redundant. Perhaps that's something that may happen or has happened. Maybe it's a call at the doctors that's brought unwelcome and challenging news. Perhaps the children are constantly unwell. Parents are getting older and needing more care or simply becoming forgetful and demanding. Perhaps the cheque bounces or the cash flow is a problem. Perhaps not here in Southcote, but certainly in uh, the Thames Valley and in parts of Hampshire and other, other places in the country. The water flows into the living room and through the house and causes chaos. How do we find God in the chaos How do we enjoy God's presence when waters threaten to overwhelm us? Well, I think it's probably true to say that most of us don't live our lives in still waters. For most of the time, life can be quite challenging. But where where might we find strength and encouragement? Well, I'd suggest that we find strength and encouragement in that Old Testament reading that we heard just a few moments ago because it speaks there of God's special servant, and we're called to look at this servant and to reflect on him and all that he has done for us. They present a portrait for us in poetry of the one the Lord calls, my servant. Who is this servant? Let's look briefly at the identity of this servant that Isaiah is speaking about here Well, the servant is, first of all, God's chosen one. Isaiah was a prophet, and as such, his role was to speak to the people on behalf of God. Sometimes this was forward-looking. God will do this. If you obey him, or if you disobey him, God will do this. But the main concern was always to speak to the people regarding their present circumstances. And one of the amazing things about how God works is that he can speak to his people in their circumstances and have words that mean something far more significant later on. So these words were originally addressed addressed to the people in their situation, but spoke also of hope for the future. And that's what we see happening in this, what we call the servant song. There are four of them in the book of the prophet Isaiah. If we time, we'd look at the history and the background of this in depth, but just to say that ideally in those days, God's servant would have been the people of Israel, who would have served God faithfully and been his witness amongst the pagan nations. But they continually disobeyed God and let him down and fell short of his standards. So God couldn't use them as the ideal servant. And today, because we now look back through Jesus and his work on the cross, we see that Isaiah's description are most true about Jesus. The servant is God's chosen one, Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 12, verse 41, John states very clearly, Isaiah saw Christ's glory and spoke about him. So Isaiah here is speaking about the servant, the chosen one of God, Jesus Christ. And that's a thrilling thought that Isaiah could foresee the coming of Jesus. And many years later, when Jesus is baptised by John, God will refer to his son in very similar language when he says, This is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Isaiah has God calling him servant, meaning that Christ will obey his leading. When you think of a servant... You perhaps think of someone who works for someone else. Back in the safety of the Thames Valley, I can mention um, that one of my colleagues went off from Reading Bluecoat School to teach at Eton College. And there was an apocryphal story during the rounds of uh, the Thames Valley at the time that the boys at Eton College were asked to define poverty. And one boy put one sentence, poverty is only being able to afford one servant... Well, not our idea of poverty, I'm sure. Interesting that the Prime Minister and Chancellor should have both been at that establishment, but that's another matter. Jesus demonstrated his servanthood constantly when speaking of doing his Father's will. He was obedient to the Father, fulfilling the role of a servant. And at the baptism of Jesus, God speaks at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, when Jesus literally begins to fulfill the words that the prophet spoke all those years before. And the most famous example is Jesus washing the feet of his disciples in the upper room on the night he was betrayed. Jesus was God's chosen one, the servant. We as Christians need to be servants too. We need to look at the ways that we meet other people's needs, not in flashy, noticeable, obvious ways, which result in all kinds of public accolades at the New Year's Honours list and the Birthday Honours list. I seem to have missed out on that for the last X number of years. But in ways like Jesus, that generally meet people's needs of heart and mind without fanfare and without publicity. My brother-in-law and his wife have just received, um, in the New Year's Honours list, the British Empire Medal for 50 years of working with scouts and young people, richly deserved a rich reward for their service. But as Christians, our only reward should be that of serving God and serving people. And we feel most Christ-like, I suggest, when we're in the centre of God's will, as Christ himself was, by his example, as the servant king, serving others. Secondly, God upholds his servant. He won't serve this servant of God, Jesus, in his own strength. He's supported by God and finds his deepest satisfaction in doing God's will. God upholds him. It's a wonderful word, that, because it has the idea of a parent gripping very tightly a child, perhaps on a busy main road, or walking along a clifftop, grabbing hold and keeping them in their grip. And that's what God does for us. Once we're his by faith, he holds on to us. Do you feel safe in his hands today and upheld by his power? Thirdly, he's God's chosen one. Of Jesus, God said, this is my son whom I love. And there's a close relationship between the act of choosing and loving. Love is often described as a matter of feeling. It is. When someone falls in love, the reality hits them. And I'm sure that's true of um, the youngest couple who are married here today, that the reality hit them when they fell in love. But it's also an act of will, an act of choice. When marriage follows, the promise is, I take you to be my lawful wedded husband, my lawful wedded wife. And in the biblical understanding of marriage between a man and a woman, they're not just emotionally drawn to each other, but deliberately choose to develop a relationship between them, which leads to an act of commitment to marriage, which sets it apart as unique and special And Jesus is described as not only loved, but chosen, set apart for God's service. And you know, you and I are special, chosen by God to serve him as his servants, as we choose to follow him. Often as Christians, we have a a low self-image, and certainly in society, there's a a huge pressure on Christianity. I think it was in the New Statesman yesterday, I saw a headline that says, is the nation right to remove Christians from public office and deny the Christian faith. I can try and get hold of that article because I think it will be quite interesting to read. But God says, in those wonderful words in the confirmation service, I called you by name and you are mine. I called you by name and you are mine. We're chosen by God. He is God's chosen one. With him, I'm well pleased. And as I've said, the people of Israel had constantly disappointed their God and their creator by failing to live up to his standards. Jesus, the chosen one, would bring his father great pleasure through his obedience because Jesus was totally obedient and reliable. As children of God by faith, do we delight him? There's delight in God's heart as we seek to do his will, and forgiveness when we fail, because he knows we're human. Our communion service speaks of God's gift to us of new life and forgiveness. And he has the Spirit of God with him. The servant is sent with God's power. The Holy Spirit was there in the symbol of the dove at the baptism. And it's true for us as Christians that We're not alone. The Holy Spirit goes before us. My power is made perfect in weakness. So that's the identity of the servant. But I want us just for the last few moments to focus on the servant as pastor. And as we look at these images, just ask yourself what pictures are being painted here for you. What does it mean for you? Perhaps you could look at the rest of that reading from Isaiah in your own time and again ask the same question. It's a beautiful picture of the work and ministry of Christ. The way the servant accomplishes the task is quite surprising. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. When someone goes in conquest of a nation... Unlike those foreign conquerors who do it noisily and violently, God's servant doesn't come shouting his decrees in the streets, nor does he crush the oppressed or discourage the disheartened. He isn't a a street preacher or political rebel inciting the population, nor a royal messenger reading the king's proclamations. The servant is given royal power by the divine king. When a conqueror rides into a country, he uses his power to suppress, to destroy. But the servant of God is radically different. He's gentle and he's meek. Meekness doesn't mean weakness, but obedience to God's will. So God's answer to the oppression of the world isn't more oppression. His answer to arrogance isn't more arrogance. Rather, in quietness and humility and simplicity in the Spirit of God, he'll take the evil of the world and return grace. That's true power at work. And Isaiah uses wonderful images of a bruised reed and a smouldering candle wick and claims that the servant will treat these tenderly and gently. The servant Jesus is the one who will work quietly to fulfill God's plan, a bruised reed he will not break. People would have been familiar with reeds in places around the Sea of Galilee, along the edges of the Jordan River. There would have been an abundance of reeds, as there are on the Thames. Reeds have hollow stems and they're very fragile. In fact, when you see reeds by the waterside, many of them will be knocked over by the wind, by rough water, by flooding, animals, or human activity. And once a reed is broken, it can't be fixed. Other plants, if you prune them, or if they become damaged, can repair themselves and produce fresh growth, but not reeds. But of course Isaiah here isn't talking about reeds, he's talking about people. He's telling us that people can become bruised, hurt and knocked over. And in our world there are many hurting people. Knocked over by the forces of living. Knocked over by illness and disease. Knocked over by the thoughtlessness and carelessness of others. There are many people who are bruised, broken and hurting in our society. They're all around us, they may live next door to us. They may shop where we shop. They may play where we drink. They may drink where we drink. They may be even here in this service this morning. The important message that we see in our text is that Jesus came to have an impact not on reeds but on people. He didn't come to destroy people who are already broken. He doesn't come to knock down a person who is already bent over by the difficulties of life. He didn't come to hurt, but bring life in all its fullness. He it doesn't come loudly, but softly and gently to mend the broken reeds of the world as we learn to trust in him. We look at the New Testament, we find many examples of the way that Jesus has passed and ministered to people. The leper was a bruised reed touched by Jesus. The demon-possessed man was a bruised reed touched by Jesus. The woman caught in the act of adultery was a bruised reed, touched by Jesus. The woman with a flow of blood was a bruised reed, touched by Jesus. And maybe there are times when you and I have been like bruised reeds because of things that have happened to us. We're promised here that the servant Jesus is the answer for bruised reeds in our world. He's the answer for those who are bruised, broken, hurting, and indeed cast aside by society. And it's interesting that the symbol for an organisation called Prison Fellowship in the United States is the bruised reed of Isaiah 42, verse 3. It's a wonderful reminder, this passage, that Jesus Christ can mend broken lives All of us are broken to some extent. Where do we feel the weakest and most inadequate in our lives and service of Christ? That's the place where he desires to show us his power and he can exchange our weakness for his strength today. But we also read that there's a smouldering wick which will not be snuffed out. The older versions refer to smoking flax, as flax was used as a wick in an oil lamp. And the idea behind this phrase is a little different to that of the bruised reed. Imagine that you're at home one evening, days before electricity. Your only source of light comes from oil lamps. Only one remains alight, and it begins to flicker as the oil is running low. The light grows dim. And before it goes out, it starts to smolder and starts to give off smoke and a strong smell. Most people would give up, blow out the lamp, and go to bed. But just like the bruised reeds, the smoldering wick represents people too. There are people who start out well on their Christian journeys and their spiritual lives develop and grow. Their lives were burning brightly at one time, They had a good relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They were on fire for him, longing to serve him. But during the course of the months or years, the oil begins to run out. The light flickers and their relationship with the Lord, which at one time had been so good, now has become faint and flickering. There's some spiritual life left, but not much. It's in danger of going out. The archdeacon asked me to help a young minister who'd had a personal crisis in his life and needed encouragement to rekindle his love of ministry. So I took him out visiting with me all day. And by the end of the afternoon, he said, Thank you, you've reminded me what ordained ministry is all about. The light hadn't quite gone out, but it lost its brightness because he had become immersed in his own problems and in administration rather than dealing with people. Isaiah says that when Jesus comes more fully into our lives, he's not going to put out the light or, indeed, go to bed. It's his desire that our faith and our light should burn brightly. It's his desire to trim the wick, to add oil to the fan, to the lamp, fan the flame and not to quench the light but to bring it back to a greater strength than ever before there are different ways in which our relationship with the Lord may begin to flicker maybe something wrong in our lives creeps in maybe it's pride or selfishness perhaps we allow people um, to mix with us who are not a good influence on us Maybe we neglect our spiritual duties of prayer and Bible reading and church attendance. But for whatever reason, our spiritual lives begin to flutter. Jesus comes to fan into life that flickering flame. He wants the light to come back, burning more brightly than ever. That's what Jesus wants to do for us. And he exercises his power in ways that won't damage or hurt us. He wants the broken reed to be healed. He wants the smouldering wick to be fanned into life again. Maybe you're in that place at the moment. Or if you have been and have come through that time, you can help others to become more aware of God's power in their lives today. Once you've come through a time of suffering, perhaps, or spiritual dryness, and have seen the other side, you're powerfully equipped to reach out to others who go through similar sufferings. Yesterday in St. Jude's South Sea, in the bereavement drop-in coffee morning, once a month, uh, there's a man here who's been coming for the last 18 months since he lost his wife, He doesn't live in the parish, he lives somewhere away, a lovely Christian, but really, really struggled with the death of his wife, blaming God for taking her. But as we've watched him talking about his own needs, he's actually now listening to others who are telling them of their experience of hurt and pain and suffering. And he's actually providing for them, having come through some of the darkness that he's been through. They have the ability to understand what others are feeling as they've felt it too. Maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling a bit like a broken reed. You're bruised by the cares of life. Perhaps you're broken and hurting. Jesus doesn't intend to knock you down, He wants to mend our wounds, to bind us up, and to heal us. Maybe you're here this morning. And at one time you were on fire for the Lord, but now your relationship is waning and growing dim. It's on the verge of going out. Jesus is here in the power of the Holy Spirit and wants to fan the flame of the Spirit in your life so that you might be a lamp for him burning brightly. He wants to bring us back to the light to revive our spirits. And he'll do that for us today. Just after that passage about the servant, Isaiah says this, When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, that's feeling weighed down and both in body and mind, you will not be burned up. The flames will not set you ablaze. In whom might we find strength and encouragement? I would suggest it is in God's servant, Jesus Christ, who won't bruise us but heal us, who wants to fan into life that flame of faith that's flickering so that we might be equipped to serve him and be his servants. As we sit, let's pray. Thank you, Father, that your servant Isaiah looked ahead to the coming of Jesus, the one who would be the servant who would be a pastor to us and the one who would suffer and die for us. Help us as we bring to you our hurt and our pain, Fan into flame that faith that's in us and help us to be lights in the world for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen.